Hi guys, it's Claire, and this is Body, Birth and Beyond. This is the no bullshit fitness meets midwifery podcast that you need in your life if you are currently trying to conceive, if you're pregnant, or if you've recently had a baby. So grab yourself a cuppa and get stuck in because boy, have I got some content for you. Hey, welcome back to Body, Birth and Beyond. This is the first episode of the new year. Happy 2024, I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas and New Year. Sorry it's been a little minute since I've done an episode, but I've not been well, um, and it's been pretty difficult for me to speak. However, I'm back, and in this episode, I thought I would do, I would answer some questions. So last week, I was invited on to do a webinar for another PT and his clients, Um, and I thought I would do answer the questions that I answered for them, for you guys, because a lot of the questions were really good. Um, things that lots of people will be wondering, but don't always ask. And I thought it would be useful to put it out there to you guys as well. So let's get into it. So the first question was, how do you know the difference between baby blues and postnatal depression? Um, And I think this is such a great question and it's a really important topic to talk about. So I'm going to expand on this and discuss it. There seems to be, I think, still a bit of a taboo around postnatal depression. I think lots of women who have postnatal depression don't reach out and speak to anybody, don't go and seek advice or help from health professionals because they're scared that they will be looked at as though they're a bad mum or as though they're failing and that's just not it at all so hopefully this will help alleviate some of those worries for any of you that might end up having postnatal depression or if you currently have postnatal depression and you've not spoken to anybody about it hopefully this will be the catalyst that will go and um like that will get you to go and get some support with it so baby blues typically will last maybe up to a couple of weeks but not any longer than that um and what happens with baby blues is that it's usually the change the initial change in your hormones after you've had your baby so you have your baby and the placenta is also birthed as well and then that causes a big change in your hormones so your progesterone and your estrogen take a dip they've been high previously and they take a bit of a dip and that change in hormones can make you feel very tearful a bit like in your menstrual cycle when your estrogen dips or or your progesterone peaks or whatever you know when you get like premenstrual stress or you know you get really tearful in and around your period sometimes when you're ovulating as well so it's the same sort of thing that happens the hormones change the estrogen the progesterone take a dip and you can feel low you can feel very emotional very tearful and then on top of that as well your milk whether you choose to breastfeed or not your milk will come in around kind of day three to five and again your hormones are doing bits there so your oxytocin um, is higher and your prolactin levels are probably higher around that time as well and again that can cause like feelings of like heightened emotions and as well as this the other thing to consider is that your whole life has just changed massively right whether it's your first baby or it's your 10th baby 
there are going to be some adjustments that need to be made. Particularly if it's your first baby, it can feel quite overwhelming and the other relationships in your life will change. Your relationship with your partner will change and it's not that they're changing for the worst. A lot of the time they change for the better, right? But they will change. Your relationships with your friends will probably change a bit. How you feel about people coming into your home and touching your baby and all of that sort of thing will be different. Um, and you you won't necessarily know how you're gonna feel until that happens. And so those first two weeks when you're, you've got your new baby and your emotions are heightened, you're also really fucking tired because you probably haven't slept much or at all during the birth of your baby and you probably haven't slept much since okay so like there's lots of things going on here that will add to feeling emotional having these quote-unquote baby blues and maybe even sometimes feeling a little bit low but after about two weeks if not sooner than that that will pass and you will start to feel a bit more regulated again and a bit more like yourself again Postnatal depression, however, can start anywhere between the birth of the baby and the research suggests like 12 months following the birth of your baby. So it doesn't necessarily happen straight away. Sometimes it can also happen gradually. It, this, the figures are that postnatal depression affects around one in 10 women and probably around one in 10 partners as well. So your partner can also get postnatal depression. Um, so those are the kind of like official figures, but actually I would probably think that it affects more than one in 10 women, but we don't know because lots of women still won't go and seek help for it because they're worried about the consequences of seeking help for it. Um, and postnatal depression, again, is caused by a, a, a multitude of things or things that can increase your risk of having it. So if you've had any previous mental health, you know, depression, anxiety, anything like that, if you have a real lack of support around you, like if you don't have a good support network, things can feel very isolating and overwhelming and things can really get on top of you. Um, and again, you know, the magnitude of having a baby, like your whole life changes. And and for lots of women, right, it's a really lovely time and it's really wonderful and exciting. But for another chunk of women, again, and it's a lot, a lot of women, it, it's not always a wonderful time. Like it's fucking hard. You've got a new baby who you all of a sudden have to basically be the sole carer for. And let's be honest, if you're in a heterosexual relationship, right, and your your partner is a, a man, nine times out of 10, the woman is going to be lumped with the majority of the work. If she's breastfeeding, that's a whole other ball game because, you know, no one else can breastfeed the baby for you. Like it's down to you, you've got to do it. But even if you're formula feeding, it's still a hell of a lot. Um, and, and a lot of women find that they take on the bulk of the work because I think a lot of the time that's just like naturally how we fall into our roles, right? Like you've got this new baby very often. And I know things are changing and I know things are 
you know, certainly a hell of a lot better than they used to be. And I'm not suggesting for one second that like all men are pigs and they do nothing because that's not the case at all. For example, my husband is wonderful. He's very supportive. And I know if we had a baby, he'd be really hands-on. But I also know likely that the bulk of the stuff would be down to me because that's that's probably the way that we're set up. Like he would have to continue to go to work. I would be left at home with a baby. And so the bulk of shit would be down to me. And because you're at home with a baby, you end up not just looking after your baby, but doing all the other shit, like doing all of the housework. And if your baby needs an appointment for its vaccinations or whatever it is, you know, it very often comes, boils down to the woman having the baby. So where was I going with this? Sorry, because I have a tendency to waffle. I lost my train of thought, but I know what I make, the point that I'm making is that it is this huge life change. And even when you have a really supportive partner, and somebody who is going to try and share the load with you as equally as they possibly can, it's never going to be completely equal. I I personally don't think. I would love to hear it if, if anyone else has any different opinions. And because of that, your life changes so massively, it's not always joyful. Like, yes, it's joyful that you have this new baby and you've brought this life into the world and that's wonderful, but actually it, it can feel not very joyful that you can't just go out when you want anymore that if you need to go to the supermarket you've got to bundle the baby into the car and then put it in a in the fucking seat thing in the trolley and then what happens if it cries when you're halfway around Aldi and then you've got to get get it out and if it's hungry and you know if you've got to get your boob out in the middle of Aldi to feed it or have you got a bottle prepped in your bag that you've then got to go and root around for you know what I'm saying it's it's a huge huge life change and for a lot of women, it is wonderful and exciting. But there are a lot of women who don't find it so wonderful and exciting and actually find it really fucking hard. And I really wanted to acknowledge that. Um, and so and and so if you feel like that, and also, you know, perhaps you've had previous mental health or perhaps you don't have a lot of support, again, coupled with all of the things that are going on with your hormones, lack of sleep, etc., it can lead to postnatal depression. Where postnatal depression um, and baby blues differ, I've obviously already talked about the time in which that postnatal depression can come on. So any time in the first sort of 12 months after the birth of your baby. But with postnatal depression, it's not just feeling a bit tearful here and there um, and feeling a bit overwhelmed. It's like, it can be a combination of the following things. So a persistent feeling of sadness and low mood, lack of enjoyment and loss of interest in doing things, going outside, seeing people, um, a real lack of energy and feeling very, very tired all of the time. So again, this is this is a little bit tricky because as a new mum, you're potentially gonna have less energy, you're potentially gonna feel tired a lot of the time. So that in isolation is not necessarily a symptom like if any of you are listening to this and thinking well fuck me I'm tired all the time that doesn't necessarily mean that you've got postnatal depression but it is one of the symptoms um and it would it would probably be more extreme than the usual just kind of like being tired because you've got a new baby um finding it difficult to look after yourself and to look after your baby sometimes feeling like you can't bond with your baby withdrawing from contact with other people um, real difficulties concentrating and making decisions. And again, this is another one where, you know, people say, oh, I, I've got 
quote unquote baby brain. And so I feel like I can't decide anything. And you know, my brain's a bit all over the place. Again, like that on, on its own isn't necessarily an indicator. Oh yes, you've definitely got postnatal depression. But again, it's something to consider. Like if you feel like that all the time, and you have any of these other symptoms, potentially that means you you could have postnatal depression. And then one of the more extreme symptoms is having th- like frightening or intrusive thoughts. For example, thoughts about hurting you or hurting somebody else, or not always just hurting yourself or hurting someone else as well, but also things like, other people getting hurt and really worrying about that and that feeling all consuming. Um, So those are kind of, I suppose the main, yeah, the main symptoms. If you think you have postnatal depression, please go and talk to someone about it. You can go and see your GP. I know GPs, like if you're listening to this and you're in the UK, you will know that GPs are difficult to get involved with um or get an appointment with at the moment it can be really hard but you have to be which is difficult when you are not feeling your best but you have to be really fucking persistent and keep calling them and tell them that it's like really really important so your gp is 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 one person if you're still being seen by your midwife speak to your midwife um if you uh you will have a health visitor so speak to your health visitor they can refer you to something called the perinatal mental health team. And that the perinatal mental health teams are basically made up of usually a psychologist and psychiatrist, mental health nurses, and then probably some support workers as well who are trained in mental health. And they can see you and do an assessment and see like what the most appropriate like level and form of support for you is going to be. And you absolutely can come out the other side of it. You won't have postnatal depression forever. Um, it won't mean that you don't bond with your baby or you can't bond with your baby. Some women bond with their babies really well, but still get postnatal depression. It's very, it can look very different for lots of women, but please, please, please don't sit and suffer in silence because that won't help. There are also lots of like support groups and charities that you can go through as well. So mind.org offers support with perinatal mental health um, and postnatal depression. And there's also another charity called Pandas. I'm gonna link both of their websites in the show notes. So if you feel, shit, I think I've got postnatal depression or antenatal depression is also a thing as well. If you're worried at all about your mental health, while you are pregnant or after you've had your baby, then go and visit both of these because they will give lots of like useful support. They have free helplines that you can call and people that you can speak to as well. So, you know, if you are having trouble getting in to see your GP and it's proving really difficult, there are other routes that you can go down that are possibly a bit easier. But whatever you do, whatever, you know, you decide, please speak to someone about it whether that's a trusted friend whether that's your partner or whether that's a health professional of some kind as I said postnatal depression is not something that you're going to have forever it does not mean that you are a bad mum or that you're failing as a parent um, and there is a way out of it 
and it and it can get better it can and it will get better so the next question was I'm still breastfeeding and waiting for my start cycle to start again will it only start once I stop breastfeeding so no not necessarily um it will be different for all women and a, a lot of these answers to these questions it, this is this is likely going to be the answer like depending on who you are depending on what your cycle was like before, depending on how long you've been breastfeeding for or what you're breastfeeding like, um, it, it will vary. And whether you're breastfeeding at all or not. So most women, if they're exclusively breastfeeding, will not have a period for up to six months, maybe a bit longer. And probably the majority of breastfeeding mums will have a return of their period between like nine and 18 months of age, of their baby's age. Um, but again, like this can vary person to person. Some periods will return really gradually and sometimes they'll return in a more regular fashion. Again, it depends person to person. And for a lot of women, you might find that once your baby starts sleeping through the night for long periods, or you start to spend longer um, bursts of time away from them, i.e. if you're going back to work or something like that, or they're going to like a childminder or a nursery, this allows your estrogen levels to dip a little bit again, as you're not breastfeeding as often, and that in turn will potentially allow your menstrual cycle to start again. So, in short, the answer to this question is, it's your cycle won't only start once you completely stop breastfeeding. It will probably start while you're still breastfeeding, but when it starts really depends person to person. If you're worried about your cycle not being regular, you know, if you are getting, you know, 18 months, two years after you've had your baby and you, you feel like your cycle isn't regular or you're worried about anything, then go and see your GP as always. So the next question, and I love this question was, how long does pregnancy affect hormones and how long does it last? So the answer to this is really, basically from the moment of conception, right up until you get your menstrual cycle back really, and your hormones are back to like a pre-pregnancy state. Um, the main, I'm, I'm not gonna talk about every single hormone, otherwise we'd be here a little while, but I will touch on some of the main hormones. So progesterone and estrogen are higher during pregnancy. Um, and at the beginning of pregnancy, those are the hormones that help maintain your pregnancy and keep it safe and keep it where it should be um, until the placenta takes over. So once the placenta is developed and fully functioning, kind of as you enter the second trimester around sort of 12 weeks, the placenta then takes over the maintenance of your pregnancy and your baby. But in those early weeks, it's progesterone and estrogen that are maintaining your pregnancy and keeping it, you know, where we want it to be. Progesterone and estrogen then um, still stay higher during pregnancy. Um, progesterone can help prevent the cervix from changing and opening and all of that sort of thing before we want it to um and they will also help pre prevent like excessive milk production so during pregnancy your body will prepare for breastfeeding obviously um and there'll be lots of changes going on with your breast tissue um and but part of the role of progesterone and estrogen is to stop your your breasts from just producing a shitload of milk while you're pregnant you'll produce colostrum and some women will find they're able to harvest some of that colostrum. You can do a bit of hand expressing 
once you get to 37 weeks, it's safe to do some hand expressing to harvest off some colostrum if you're planning to breastfeed your baby or you know, if you're not planning to breastfeed your baby, but you just want to get some colostrum off, you can do that safely from 37 weeks. Um, but those hormones will stop that colostrum from becoming like excessive amounts of actual breast milk, if that makes sense, because the colostrum and the breast milk are slightly different. The other hormone that plays a big role in pregnancy is human placental lactogen. This is produced in the placenta. And it's thought that we don't fully understand all of the functions of HPL, that's how I'm going to refer to it because I'm not going to say human placental lactogen every time. So we don't fully understand all of the functions of HPL, but what we do know about it is that it modifies our metabolism in order for our baby to get enough nutrients. Now it does this by affecting the efficacy of insulin and how insulin will, um, essentially like unlock those cells to push glucose into them so that your body can metabolize glucose properly and you don't get a buildup of glucose in your bloodstream so by reducing the effectiveness of your insulin or making you less insulin sensitive that allows more glucose to sit within the blood and therefore be passed to your baby so your blood circulation will carry nutrients around your body deposit it where it needs to be for you but also deposit it at the placenta in order for your baby's blood circulation to take it to the baby so that your baby has nutrients and oxygen as well so your body is super super clever um, and this is why gestational diabetes is a thing this is why you can develop diabetes in pregnancy because the way your insulin works in pregnancy is not as effective as how it works when you're not pregnant. So if you have other risk factors as well, that will further increase your risk of gestational diabetes. Um, it doesn't mean everyone's gonna get gestational diabetes by any stretch of the imagination. Like our body is meant to deal with this. Like this is what our body's meant to do in order to, to help our baby thrive. And we are you know, equipped to deal with that. But if you do have other risk factors, um, it might, you know, it, that will increase your risk of getting gestational diabetes. But that's why gestational diabetes is a thing. Like, I just think it's so interesting. And then after pregnancy, there are two hormones called um, prolactin and oxytocin. They are both at play while you're pregnant as well, but they, they kind of come into their own after you've had your baby or, and, and, and in fact, oxytocin is one of the hormones that plays a huge role when you are in labor. So oxytocin, you might've heard of it before. It's referred to as the love hormone. It plays a role in, in lots of things in our life. We release oxytocin when we cuddle someone we love, when we're having sex with somebody that we love, we release oxytocin. If you're having skin to skin with your baby, you'll be releasing oxytocin. When you're breastfeeding your baby, you will be releasing oxytocin. Um, and it is also the hormone that makes our uterus contract, or one of the hormones that makes our uterus contract. So it plays a really important role in labor and birth. And when, if you've ever been induced with the hormone drip, that's what the hormone is. It's a synthetic version of oxytocin, which is what we produce ourselves. So it's a man-made version of that into a drip and we um, kind of infuse it really, really slowly and increase 
the rate over time and that is supposed to either bring on contractions make your contractions stronger and more uniform and more regular etc and kind of push um push labor forwards in the direction that everybody wants it to go in and then as i said after you've had your baby oxytocin plays a role in feeding your baby as well so um and not just feeding your baby but like if you if even if you're formula feeding and you're having a cuddle with your baby you'll be releasing oxytocin and those um cramps that you get like period cramps after you've had a baby where your uterus is contracting back down that's oxytocin doing that so it has lots of roles but it is also responsible for milk release so the two main hormones that play a role in breastfeeding are prolactin which is responsible for milk production and oxytocin which is responsible for milk release so prolactin is essentially like the chef and oxytocin is essentially like the waiter but yeah so those are some of the hormones that's how they affect your body and your hormones will return to a pre-pregnancy state probably once you've started having a regular menstrual cycle again you can be pretty sure at that point you're kind of back to where you were pre-pregnancy so there there are still more questions but i think that this episode is probably long enough at this point um i feel like i've packed quite a lot of information into this and important information so i'm really pleased about that so i hope that you find it helpful if you have listened to this and you've enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button because that really helps me share it on your social media, tell your friends about it if you think it's going to be helpful for them. And if anybody has any questions about anything pregnancy, postnatal, fitness related, then please come and find me on Instagram. Um, keep listening for where you can find me and where you can find my website but I'm always happy to chat with people and answer questions and help you into a healthier stronger pregnancy and postnatal journey much love and I will see you in the next one if you're interested to know more about body birth and beyond then come and find me on instagram at bodybirthbeyond and slide into my dms for a little chat or visit my website coachedbyclaire.com Both will be linked in the show notes.